0: I'm Tom. I'm Big Will, aka Uncle Buck. I'm
1: Justin. Hey guys, uh, how's it going? (laughs) Fantastic. Going great, man. Yeah,
2: I love to hear it. You guys like shows, dude? Love shows. Do I ever?
0: I love death metal shows. I love really creepy death metal shows. Good. And I got a guy calling in tonight that books really creepy death metal shows. Beautiful. Tonight, as I was going to say, our guest is a one-man promotion and booking agency based out of the D.C., Baltimore, and Virginia area. He's booked. Paradise Lost, Backslider, Triac, Full of Hell, The Body, Primitive Man, Ilsa, Gate Creeper, Die Choking, Bell Witch, Vastum, Horrendous, Negative Approach, Imperial Triumphant, Necrot, Undergang, Blood Incantation, Morbid Saint, Defeated Sanity, Outer Heaven, Noisum, going. Artificial Brain, and Modern English? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Listen. Wait a minute. Wait. Okay. You, you, you did do the Modern English show. I did, yeah, that's correct. All right, we're gonna get to all that, buddy. I got a lot of questions I want to ask you, but this is Hassan from Ripping Headaches Promotions, and we really appreciate you calling in tonight, and especially dealing with the um the little phone problem we had.
3: No worries. Cheers, guys. Thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure, man.
0: Yeah, man. So uh, Hassan, you know, I know you from um, uh, playing shows down in your area and all that, but uh, like, let's just start
3: off with a little preliminary. Like, where are you originally from, and where'd you grow up? Um, I mean, I'm pretty much from Maryland. I grew up in and out of Baltimore County, Baltimore City my whole life. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started out living in, in Jersey, but I was really young, and I pretty much spent a lot of my formative years in Maryland. Is rock and metal like something in your
0: family, or you kind of found it on your own? Like, where does rock and metal music come in?
3: For me, pretty much, uh, I mean, growing up, I would listen to whatever, you know, the kids at school were listening to. and. My parents would listen to a lot of Bollywood and Indian music because of my, my my Indian and Pakistani background so I always grew up around music at home and you know hanging out with friends but um, it really uh, getting into rock and metal and punk came about uh, through a family friend. Uh, I didn't have any siblings growing up so I mean pretty much having this this older family friend show me bands like metallica slayer testament and all those classic thrash bands and a lot of the classic rock bands um that was pretty much my my jumping point and from there it just grew
0: you at some point though you get into like the nitty-gritty death metal and stuff like that though right
3: yeah so like a, a lot of the thrash and like early punk and hardcore that was a good starting point for me but I mean, like like you'll hear with a lot of people who talk about these things. Uh, I just wanted something, you know, heavier or more extreme. And when I was introduced to bands like Morbid Angel and Death and Obituary and Entombed, I was like, oh, holy shit! Like these guys put like Metallica and Slayer to to shame. Like I thought Metallic I thought I thought Slayer was evil. And then you know, I, I hear like Morbid Angel, and I didn't really believe what I was hearing, like. Just the guitar playing and the musicianship, and yeah, it just blew my mind, and you know that that really spiraled me to get into other genres like grindcore, black metal, and all the other extreme subgenres in metal.
0: Yes. So, when do you start getting to shows and going to like your first underground shows?
3: Um, I mean, pretty much, I'd say when I was around like 15 or 16, I started really going out to shows. Um, the bigger shows and the smaller like house shows and DIY shows and um, really just like really getting a sense of like the bands and the local bands and the local scene and that pretty much uh, just captured my interest and you know trying to be involved with that the the DIY scene
0: okay and around like what year are we talking like what time period are we talking
3: Uh, I'd say I probably started going around to shows around like uh, 2005 2006 okay so i
0: what i wanted to ask you is uh for me and just for anyone else who's not from your area maybe to talk a little bit about what the scene was like there in baltimore and also dc and how the dc and baltimore scene are alike but also why they're kind of um because geographically they're very close right
3: right yeah no they're they're very close but yeah the the scenes are are pretty divided and it's been that way for a long time uh dc is still you know very much uh, all about dc hardcore and uh you know punk and a lot of straight edge and youth true stuff style stuff uh baltimore has always been you know about a little bit of everything you know you, you'll you'll have your like crust bands your doom metal bands your, your, a, a weird experimental like uh out there bands um But yeah, there's always been a divide, like the Baltimore kids wouldn't really go to DC and the DC kids wouldn't really go to Baltimore unless it was like a really, really good show. Um, But yeah, there's always been that divide. So growing up in and out of Baltimore City and Baltimore County, I spent a lot of time going to the shows uh, in, in the city, going to a lot of the house shows or going to small shows here and there, at like Sidebar and Auto Bar and um, Sonar when that was still around. I don't know if you remember that place, Will. Uh, it used to be where Maryland Death Fest used to take place. I think BioLich played at, at Sonar um, for the Maryland Death Fest.
0: I could be wrong, um, but, um, I, I, yeah, they used to have it at, at uh, in the early 2000s there. I remember that.
3: Yeah, so those were a lot of the places I, I used to go to and, you know, seeing bands like, uh, I mean... Wake Up on Fire and Nux Vomica, and, I mean, of course, like local bands like Mi- Misery Index and Deceased and Dying Fetus. Um, and yeah, we would get a lot of like, I guess, like the bigger underground bands and that, yeah, that that was pretty much the scene. But yeah, uh, the house spots, there was like Barclay House, quarks uh, <laughs> Fo- Fortress. Bucks Facelift
0: faceless played at the Barclay House in two thousand and eleven. Yeah, that was oh a, man, that place. Yeah, a lot of good times there. Yeah, yeah, it, it was kind of like it reminded me of like a brownstone uh, building, like a kind of like multi-level apartment building that these crusty kids had kind of taken over. Yeah, and, and the basement was like a, it was like a, a club, like they had a PA system and a stage and a place for your merch and everything.
3: No, they, they they had it done right. Yeah, they had quite the setup, and that's probably the longest running punk house in Baltimore. and there was a lot of great shows and the people who ran the space you know it was a labor of love. And yeah, I, that was really like uh, one of the first places where like I, I got my taste of like the DIY scene and you know what what it's about in the community and like helping each other out and yeah, being exposed to new bands that way. So
0: uh, how soon after starting to frequent shows do you actually, like, book your first show?
3: Um, I mean, I think I started around probably 2010, 2011, just, like, helping out uh, friends that had access to either, like, art spaces or show spaces and helping them, like, bring bands or getting in contact with bands and helping them spread the word. Um, so, yeah, right around that time, uh, 2011, I I just started noticing, you know, there weren't a, there were a lot of bands that I liked that were just skipping over Baltimore and DC, and I would reach out to them back, you know, during MySpace and even you know now through like Facebook, just asking bands, hey, when are you guys, you know, planning to tour, and are you guys coming through Baltimore, or DC, and I would usually get uh, two, either one of two answers, one being oh you know we just don't think baltimore and dc would be a viable market for us to play or you know two we'd play there before and we just had a bad experience it wasn't a good show the promoter was terrible you know that that kind of just bothered me like uh you know for one like i want to see these bands and two like i felt kind of bad that you know our area was getting kind of a bad name um it's kind of like you're you're playing this whole game on hard mode right from the top yeah i i just decided you know like let me let me try this out i i had made enough like friends in the community and seen that you know they could help me out with finding a space and helping thing helping out with things like sound and i had communicated already with enough local bands that i could find openers and yeah, it just spiraled from there. Like, there's a lot of lessons that I learned, you know, from the initial shows that I put on and that I'm continuing to learn. And yeah, uh, it worked out. <laughs> so, what was I that? Didn't...
1: What was the first like proper show you would say you booked, like top to bottom,
3: like where you were like, okay, I'm um, in the game now? Properly, I would say when I booked Atriarch at Sidebar, which is another uh, local Baltimore spot, where you know I. I would frequent, and that was also, you know, a great way for local bands to play and uh, bands that were touring through to, to play. And it really started because my buddy Travis had bought the sidebar, and he knew how much of a music nerd I was and how I wanted to be involved with bringing bands to the area. So he pretty much was the first one that gave me my shot at like, you you like build the bill. Uh, you promoted, and yeah, uh, the Atriarch show, I think that was either 2011 or 2012 was like the first show where I I had control and I set everything up. You mentioned before about learning lessons. What are some lessons you
0: learned at that or, or other like of your first few shows?
3: Um, I mean, just like coordinating, uh, being in communication with bands, being very communicative towards the venue and staff and, you know, realizing what bands work for shows what doesn't uh what works price wise uh starting start figuring out what times work for the show and set times just things like that that you know you, you learn more and more and yeah the i didn't i didn't think it would uh spiral to where i'm at now but yeah it has and i just i learn more i learn every time with
0: each show yeah and and are you booking at well you mentioned you know the sidebar uh which i know it's kind of like a historical um underground metal place there in baltimore biolich played there actually in 2004 as well and they're still having shows uh right, right up till till, till nowadays what's the
1: size of that place like how many people fit in that
0: sidebar
3: officially the capacity there is 90 it's it's, it's a tiny place and it. yeah it's it's just it's a it's a good time like everyone it's it's a strong community um a lot of punk bands and metal bands uh you know will come through and yeah it's it's just become the spot you know for a lot of diy minded bands to play but it still has this legitimacy to it and i believe it was featured uh in the the show the wire right oh yeah it was Hmm. the it was the cop bar in the wire uh a lot of people might remember it from uh the, the episode where they had the wake
0: yeah, yeah. Which it looks a lot bigger in that T V show.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, a lot a lot of people say that. Um yeah, that was uh when they had a pool table and sidebar uh-huh. and yeah, the it looks a lot bigger in the show, but yeah, and I will tell bands that and they're if if they're a wire fanatic they freak out finding yeah. out oh, holy shit, we're playing the cop bar from the wire Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, uh, it's a it's a great place. I have a lot of great memories from Still there. Still gonna watch the Wire. I Haven't seen that one. Uh, I, seen I got uh, I heard good things. Uh, it's it's allegedly a great show. I'll I'll loan you uh, <laughs> the DVD set. <laughs> I, I own. Um, but uh, yeah, and well, I, I did have a, a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about, kind of like infamous or or just playing famous um, Baltimore venues a little bit later on, but. Uh, we're talking about your early shows and when you first got into this. Did, and uh, I did want to ask you if there was like kickback or competition with local promoters or venues and clubs that didn't want to play ball. But it sounds like you got into this to fill a vacuum with local promotion and you had a supportive venue. So what, was there any kind of like kickback from any locals with, with that or competition?
3: Uh, Not really. I mean... Um... Because when when I started uh, with you know put, putting on a lot of the underground metal and punk shows, there was yeah there was this void. Uh, either people who had previously booked in the city uh, either quit or you know they just weren't really booking the type of bands that I wanted to bring to the city. That I knew you know there was there was a market for it and there was there were people that wanted to see these bands. Um, yeah, and I, I've been really lucky, you know, with, with starting out booking shows in Baltimore and the community there. Uh, people like Adam Savage, who's the in-house booker at Metro Gallery and uh, Soundstage, he he was very helpful. Um, and of course, yeah, having people like Travis, who owns a sidebar, really take me under my wing and, you know, really guide me into how to do things. Um, no, it was kind of... Uh, it was it was really welcomed a lot of people were really you know stoked to see that someone was bringing you know a different kind of uh underground metal and punk to baltimore
0: that, that's awesome man and um now besides clubs and bars like that uh you all, you also booked at like diy spots and house shows and things like kind of like anything goes
3: yeah I mean if i if I felt like it would work for the band and you know there was a place where they could perform like there's a if there's a PA or we could bring a PA um then why not like have a have a show at someone's basement or if there's like a restaurant space that'll let us put on the show um, yeah and it's it's always worked out that it, it it really depends on the kind of band the kind of music and the kind of crowd I'm expecting but um yeah if there's a space to put on the show why not <laughs>
0: yeah no I mean it sounds fun man you know I, I've yeah. always loved basement shows house shows anything like that or you know any kind of DIY space anything a little bit off the beaten path man
2: when you're doing these DIY shows and you know you're bringing your own PA and you're kind of asking your way into a venue that really doesn't know what they're dealing with has there any been like uh, a little backfire there like some unexpected chaos through either the venue owner or the bands
3: yeah there's there's one uh, situation particular that comes to mind where I had a show set up at a Chinese restaurant actually and they they knew what they were getting into but they forgot to mention uh, the strict curfew so I had to ask one of the bands I had to tell one of the bands they could not play uh, because of the curfew I still paid them but it was still you know it was still pretty embarrassing uh, for everyone. Um, so that was that was one moment where like a DIY spot where it backfired and it, yeah, now like I, I try to make sure to ask, you know, if a venue or DIY space, if they have a strict curfew, that was just one moment where the, the space just didn't really mention it or felt really aloof about it until like maybe the second or third band played <laughs> oh oh no so the show is going on Wow yeah the show is going on wow. and then they they've told me well you know we're pressed for time and I was like well I guess I can't have the fourth band play oh so it was pretty much the headlining act then too <laughs> um no it was it was a it was a local that I, I tried to have headline Uh, okay. kind of the, the the tour sandwich um. Type of deal where yeah, you know you have yeah. the local bit, ba- you have a local band start, and then you have the touring bands play in between, and then you have the local headline. uh But yeah, that that's one moment where you know sometimes the the venue owner or the the space the, the owner of the space you know just doesn't really understand what's going on, and yeah. um But yeah, mostly I've, I've worked with a lot of DIY that are know what's going on and are used to having you know, heavy shows and and, and know the deal Um, Yeah
0: Well, you mentioned uh, the the tour sandwich, where you have uh, a local band play, and then you put the touring bands on, and you have another local band finish up, and usually I know exactly what you mean, usually the idea of that is that you don't want all the local friends and people to leave right before the touring band plays. You want you want the people to stick around who came out for that local act to at least be there for the touring bands, right?
3: Yeah, and you know you kind of have to suss it out with certain touring bands. Yeah. If you feel like, oh man, like I, I I don't think anyone's really heard of these guys, and I don't want an, I don't want anyone to leave, you know, before they play. So you kind of you kind of have to do that maneuvering with uh, bills, and you know, it's just it's it's case by case with shows like certain shows, the touring band is the headliner because they will draw and people will stick around for them. And certain shows, you know, it, it, it could be risky. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and well, that that's a good point. And not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I feel like maybe there's a couple other things there uh, for inexperienced um, promoters or people who don't book shows like myself. I You know, I book one or two friendly kind of, you know, hang out half a party shows a year. Usually they're free, you know, so I'm not really a promoter. But some, something else I've seen is p- sometimes promoters will throw on, like, a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, uh, like, seven bands. And the shows go until, like, 2 or 3 a.m., you know what I mean? And your headlining oh, act man. is, is they're, they're, they're not playing for anybody at that point. There's the airing you know?
1: grievances now. Yeah. Like, first. Like,
0: you know, like if because tours do come through where you have to fill a tour spot that's coming through your city on a Monday night or a Tuesday night.
3: So in that type of situation, like, what's your approach, you know? I mean, first, no one should be putting seven bands on a bill <laughs> on a weeknight i don't care if you yeah. like a really fast grind core band or power violence band uh no one no one wants to stick around for seven bands or you know if they see that on a flyer that that's kind of a big turn off um and you know don't get me wrong like i've definitely have done shows in the past where it's looked like it the bit it looks like the bill is overloaded and you know that's that's something you learn like you know, the, mm-hmm. there's like a certain magic number to, to Bill sometimes, you know, especially, you know, depending on the, the night of the week, the show is on. Um, but yeah, there's there's been moments like that where you just have to, you know, really suss it out and figure out like, okay, is this touring band going to draw enough people and are they going to stick around uh, or, you know, should I have them play, you know, right before a local that I know brings a lot of people out uh, and I know a lot of people are going to stick around and hang out. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, a case-by-case case thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've I've seen shows where promoters will <laughs> overload the show. It'll usually be uh, pay-to-play promoters, which is a whole other conversation. Oh, boy. To have about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, get fired up about that later <laughs>
0: well here here let me ask you point blank have uh, have you ever um, had bands sell tickets to perform at one of your shows
3: no never absolutely not that's, good that's something right i learned like early on um you know when when talking to bands and local bands you know they would tell me about their experiences like man you know like it's really cool we're opening for you know this awesome you know huge band but the promoter made us sell tickets and there's like seven other bands on the bill and just hearing those stories that's that's just not the way to do it like what's what's the role of the promoter then, you know
0: yeah and a lot of t- you know obviously the, the the usual thing is that most of these younger bands that don't have a huge following they're competing with like re- realistically a lot of times it is like five or six other local bands that are trying to all sell tickets within the same scene you don't sell all your tickets and then you're, you're up one hundred fifty, two hundred dollars. Sometimes you got to pay, and you're literally paying to play. And it's a. Sca- I always tell these bands, don't do it. Skip that show. Take that money and make t-shirts and play an underground show and sell the shirts. You know what I mean? And- yeah,
3: and you know, it's it's always the younger bands that really get taken advantage uh, by pay-to-play promoters. Uh, they feel like you know this is this is how it's supposed to be, and it's like no, no. You can you could play shows where you don't have to sell tickets you can get a strong following and and it'll go from there but yeah a lot of these younger bands will just get taken advantage by pay to play promoters and think oh okay I'm, I'm supposed to be selling tickets for, for these shows as a show goer I feel like
2: you can see a bill and you could tell if the promoter has done that because I mean yeah. I'm not going to name names but me and Will went to a show and the headlining band was who, who we were there for yes. and whoever the promoter was booked all these bands that had never even heard of the headlining band and they were playing like Children of Bodom covers and Lamb of God covers and it was like yeah it was like uh, no one knew what was going on so the, the lineup was just
0: terrible It was just kind of like if you took a bunch of local bands and, like, shuffled the deck and, like, who's going to open for, uh, you know, I'm not going to say the band's name tonight, but it was like a brutal, guttural death metal band, and you're thinking to yourself, like, well, I know the three or four local bands that would have been sick on this bill tonight, and now I'm watching, like, eight local metalcore bands that have never even heard of this band. It's weird, you
1: know? I remember being in, you know, like, in high school in bands, and you get strong-armed by these promoters, you know, especially at bigger venues. Like, they'll, they'll, it's, it's, it's when you're young, you're susceptible, you know, to a lot of this, uh, a lot of this, this stuff. And you're just, I think you said it best where it's like, what's the job of the promoter? If you're having the, you know, the talent kind of promote your show for you, you know, and you're just sitting there kind of collecting the money. It's a little, uh, yeah. And you know, sideways. like, and I,
3: I've noticed this, this might, I don't know if it's true elsewhere, but I've noticed, you know, around here with pay to play promoters, uh, some of the bills just don't make sense. And it just shows <laughs> yeah. that the promoter is kind of out of touch. He doesn't really care. Yeah, you know like there's there's really you know and i'm all for variety in bills but yeah there's certain times i, I look at a play to, a pay to play bill and i'm like where where is he getting these bands and why are they opening for this this large act you know
0: yeah i think it happens um everywhere or you know at, at least most major um most major markets with bigger clubs uh and while we're talking about um clubs and parts of the music industry that maybe don't mesh as well with this underground thing that we're doing this thing of ours as uh they say in the italian culture (laughs) um have you ever had like sound guys or security maybe uh that really didn't understand what was going on with the underground show or with moshing or with the sound quality and and getting any kind of like conflict with that
3: yeah there's been times where you know i'll, I'll work with uh, an, a sound guy that i haven't worked with before and he's not really familiar with uh you know certain kinds of you know extreme metal and yeah there there have definitely been times where that's happened or yeah like i've 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 had like uh security or staff to you know be concerned about people you know moshing or moving around at shows and yeah there's always that unfamiliarity but that's going back to what I originally said, I, I try to work with people who have some familiarity with um, the type of shows that I want to bring and uh, have some ideas so there aren't any you know, surprises.
0: I was going to ask you about um, you know kind of conflicts that, that arise, but it seems like I said before that you, you, you've gone into this with the cushion of very supportive uh, venues that you work with. And, like, you know, like you mentioned Travis. Big shout to Travis from the sidebar. Um, I've met him before, too, a few times. And he is, uh, of course, very supportive of underground music and coming from that field, you know, of, of music. So he understands. He's not, like, one of these big money club guys that's, you know, doing the pay-to-play mm-hmm. thing, obviously. So, uh, I mean, with that with that being said, like, you, you mentioned, uh, like, success security like do they you ever had a problem where like there was a fight at a show or something like that and, and you were
3: uh, held liable or anything like that uh no thank goodness i i have there's never been a situation like that there have been you know times where i'll see you know security or staff get into some type of scuffle with with someone attending the show and i'll have to you know clear it up and and you know try to make you know try to patch things up with the, with those people but Um, Yeah, luckily I've never really had an issue where, you know, someone's gotten injured at a show or where, you know, a venue staff might be liable for something or, um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, haven't had that issue. Well, I mean, generally
0: speaking, you book a lot more of like esoteric death metal than like beat down tough guy hardcore.
3: I mean. yeah that that could be it too like I, I kind of I, I stray away from a lot of like the the beatdown bands mm-hmm. or a lot of the more like you know brutal slam bands um, you know and, and there there are promoters that do the, those shows uh, my buddy Mike Flaxcomb he puts on a lot of great uh, beatdown and slam shows in Baltimore and you know he's he's really you know kind of cornered that market of putting those shows on in Baltimore but it's also, you know, you know the type of people that are coming to these shows. Uh, the staff knows as well, um, and I'm sure he's probably had his issues with those shows too. But yeah, the the shows that I've put on, you know, it's always been, you know, really like mellow and and chill. Uh, show attendees, and yeah, of course you'll have your every once in a while, you know, someone causing trouble or an issue, and you know, thankfully it's it's worked out where it's never really gotten to you know an extreme point it's good to know your market i mean flat caps and basketball shorts <laughs> that, that becomes a liability you know yeah you, you already know like oh man that guy's gonna yep. cause trouble oh he's current. already sweating
0: both items are available with artificial <laughs> brain logos by the way yes <laughs> i
2: own
0: many of both now talking about um the shows and the different scenes i had asked you before a little bit about the difference between dc and baltimore but uh, as you've been booking shows now, I mean, you book in both areas. And you book uh, also in Virginia sometimes?
3: Um, I mean, I've, I've only ever booked a show in Virginia okay. maybe twice. Uh, but, yeah, uh, pretty much I started with Baltimore because that's, that's where I was living at the time. And uh, I moved to D.C. three years ago didn't really think I would be putting on uh, the amount of metal shows that I've been putting on in DC just because I I didn't really think there was a market for it in DC Uh, DC you know like I said it's still very much you know about hardcore and punk Um, but it pretty much started with bands asking me hey you know we'd really like to play DC do you know anyone that could put on a metal show for us in DC and they're really wasn't anyone there? Was uh, I had a friend Simon who was putting on shows for a while, and he just stopped doing shows, and he kind of took me under his wing, and you know, introduced me to venue owners. Um, one of which was the Pinch, which I think Artificial yes, Brain has, yeah. has played. Um, so I've I started doing a lot of my shows at the Pinch, and you know, I just noticed, you know, wow, people are actually, you know, really coming out, and. I would have a lot of people come up to me and and tell me you know hey thank you for you know bringing metal to dc uh and you know the more and more that you know i i read about you know the history of you know underground metal in dc uh there was this kind of void um for a while uh king fowley from deceased was putting on a lot of the shows in dc in the early 90s and he just sort of stopped and a lot of the shows would go to baltimore and baltimore was where you would see a lot of the metal shows in the dc maryland virginia area um so when when i started bringing these metal bands to dc people from maryland would travel people from northern virginia um and i would see a lot a lot more new faces in dc because dc is also a city of transplants uh where as you know i felt like a lot of a lot of the Baltimore shows were kind of just staying the same, same folks, same people. Um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it. But, yeah, now I pretty much do, I'd say, 90% of my shows in D.C. now.
0: I mean, you spoke a little bit about kind of like the differences. Like, it's a lot of the same people in Baltimore, whereas D.C., there's a lot of... Uh, changes, there's, you know, there's new faces and stuff like that. Is, is there any kind of other differences between the scenes that you notice, like the type of music people uh, will come out for, or the type of bands that are popular, anything like that?
3: I mean, I've, I've definitely noticed, especially over the past few years, uh, death metal has really taken off in, in DC, and um, it's and also a lot of doom and sludge, which has always been there because. Uh, maryland virginia and dc have always been you know kind of at the center of a lot of american doom and sludge bands i mean bands like pentagram uh the obsessed uh they're from the area so that's always been there but yeah i've noticed you know uh a lot of people are coming out to the death metal shows whereas you know i'd say a couple years ago there was a void of that and you wouldn't really hear about a death metal band playing in dc Uh, now you (laughs)
0: Speaking of not, not not to make a pun, but you mentioned the void. I want to ask you because <laughs> you book a lot of like I mentioned before a lot of very kind of mysterious, esoteric uh, death metal and black metal. Uh, and some of those bands, it's, it's maybe just the image and um, an art form. Some of those bands, maybe it's more of a lifestyle. You don't have to name names, but have you ever witnessed any kind of like strange things, uh, you know, of, of an occult nature or mysterious nature?
3: Um, I mean, yeah. I've, I've, there's been like definitely like a band or two that you know will bring out like fake blood and like cover themselves in blood and uh you know have like things like bones on stage and yeah uh i mean it's it's all about you know the theatrics uh which you know i I understand and yeah it's definitely it it could be for like someone who's never really seen that type of stuff before at a show i've definitely had people like come up to me like i wasn't (laughs) expecting that i i had no idea that was going to happen but that was awesome because you don't really see that at yeah yeah well, show.
0: i, I mean I, I guess you're you're absolutely right i guess i'm a little like desensitized to it uh <laughs> what i what i was what i was actually trying to get at was with all these bands you've booked and you've kind of been privy maybe to a little bit more behind the curtain than the average fan are there any of these bands that are like really living this lifestyle and and maybe they're doing rituals before they play or you know what i mean they 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 asked you where the local uh you know band bookstore is or so <laughs> you know i don't
3: know um. Honestly, I haven't come across that. Like, a, a what I I had a I've I usually you know a lot of these bands and and metal bands you know they're just normal people you know that and I, I'll have people ask me you know what is it like working with so and so and you know booking that band I was like you know they were just <laughs> really chill like they they just hung out and then you know when it's time to perform that's uh, they put on this you know different face and. You know, and it's it's an act, but yeah, I'm sure for some people it's it's definitely a lifestyle, and you know, it's you can you can kind of tell like, okay, that guy's like really far removed from everyone else, or you know, what, this person's really chilling, down to earth, and you know, music's is just a good outlet for them to express yeah, themselves. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm I'm just fishing for weird stories. You just man, haven't walked <laughs> have walked in on any seances <laughs> like yeah. in the bathroom yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah
2: but- safarian ceremonies do not count well that was the
0: artificial brain uh show he booked there yeah. was we were doing all sorts of ceremonies in the back there <laughs> allegedly um yeah uh, allegedly all right well i mean here's another question man being involved being uh booking out of like two fairly uh bigger cities on the east coast have you ever had like anybody uh fairly famous or in or maybe infamous uh come into a show whether they just were looking for a place to go for the night to hang out or they were a metal supporter
3: um, I mean, it was it was really cool when I did a show for uh, Come to Grief mm-hmm. at Sidebar, and uh, John Chang from Discordance Access, oh wow, okay. showed up, and yeah, I guess he just he drove from. I, I'm guessing he's still living in Jersey or New York. He drove all the way just to see Come to Grief play at Sidebar in Baltimore, and I don't know. For for me, that was like really awesome that you know holy shit someone like john chang came to one of my shows um uh, there was another time where i did a show for this uh post-punk band skeletal family and one of the original guitar players from sisters of mercy came to the show because he was he lived he lives in maryland and he's old friends with skeletal family and yeah that those are that's definitely another time where i'm like you know almost felt like starstruck like holy shit like an original member who played on like one of my favorite such as mercy albums came to the show and but um yeah other than that uh no 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 one you know no one like really like out there or famous has, has stopped by Den-
0: dennis Rodman hasn't made it to the sidebar <laughs> okay <laughs> not yet i, I keep putting him on the guest of list commerce, and... strolling in oh yeah any politicians
3: Oh, oh! I mean, occasionally, like, so the one of the spots I put shows on is Alice Brew Works, which, um, you know, it's your typical normal brewery, and you know they have their clientele. Uh, I'm sure there have been times where like people that are working on Capitol Hill have like wandered past and are like, "What the hell is going on?" And they see like a metal What's band playing. What's come of this country? So yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's been like some some people who know like certain uh, secrets or know too much that have. Have like wandered around where where I'm putting on my shows at, <laughs> at outlets. Just have to
1: book you know book uh, some obscure show that requires a certain level of security clearance to come in and just see who you, see <laughs> right. who you draw.
3: This this is super yeah. culture. Yeah. yeah, you it's need
0: uh, above <laughs> your pay grade, sir. You need that portal pass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you yeah. got the wrong T-shirt <laughs> yeah, exactly. on. Man. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a T-shirt on underneath that tie? What's going on? Uh, so <laughs> all right, well let let me go ahead and ask. What, what's up with you booking Modern English? And just for the listeners, Modern English is, of course, the 80s uh, pop band that, that is probably best known for I'll Stop the
3: World and Melt with You, right? So what's... Yeah. no. Um, so, so with Modern English, uh, that pretty much came about because I booked uh, one of my favorite post-punk bands and goth bands, uh, The Chameleons. I booked a show for them, and the same agent, um, you know, threw Modern English at me, and it was because Modern English wanted to do like kind of a small, low-key tour where they would play their early stuff because a lot of people know them for "Melt with You," and their early stuff is honestly like really, really good, and a lot <laughs> of people ignore it. So they wanted to do the small di kind of, I guess, kind of DIY tour where they're just performing their early stuff but they uh, they did play the mel question. with you at the end yeah, yeah. or <laughs> else you know there there would be there would be like there would probably be roads <laughs> um so <laughs> so yeah that's how that came about and yeah it was kind of you know for me like man modern english and i was like you know what like why not like let let me let me take a hand at booking that and yeah it was a great show they were great guys easy to work with and yeah, a lot of people were excited to see <laughs> that. Awesome. I Excellent. wish I could have yeah.
0: made it, man. That's great. <laughs> um how how has the local scene? I don't know if you want to talk about Baltimore or DC or both, but how have things changed since like it's it's almost going back uh, approximately 10 years since you've been booking shows. Um not to make you feel old, but but uh, how is how have <laughs> things changed?
3: Um I mean, you know, venues come and go, uh, house spaces and show spaces come and go. uh uh, there's always there's always new bands popping up and yeah you'll you'll always hear like people complaining oh man like the music scene isn't like what it used to be but you know those people really aren't venturing out and and going out to shows and seeing new bands and going to new show spaces uh so yeah i've basically just seen a lot of bands you know not not be around anymore, but then, you know, new bands will pop up and a lo- a lot of people just not wanting to go to shows anymore too, which, you know, I get a lot of people just get burnt out of, you know, going to shows if they if they work a nine to five, if they have a family or other obligations. But yeah, uh I've definitely, you know, it's th that'll happen. It'll come in waves and that's that's pretty much what happens in dc and baltimore it, it'll just go in waves like that there's
1: some uh what are some bands right now that you're that you're pretty high on uh, that you find booking locally you know put, trying to find spots for them or uh that you see coming up maybe breaking on a
2: national level
3: um i mean i i really like uh there's this new uh young band called needle from dc really really good uh grind and power violence um they Put out a demo and a EP, and I could I could see them really, you know, breaking it big. They're kind of um, they kind of almost remind me of like uh, like when MacGruder Grind oh, yeah. started out, and you know, seeing that band like start from like a small like basement band, and then you know, getting to where they are now. Or you know, even like yeah. Pig Destroyer, uh, Pig. I remember when Pig Destroyer played, you know, DIY spaces, and now look at them like those guys worked hard, and you know, they. They've definitely taken off from like being, you know, what I what a lot of people in my area would say, like, oh yeah, that was the local band, and now they've they've gotten huge. So I could see a band like Needle really breaking through. Those those kids, you know, they they're really on to something. Um, Perpetuated, uh, there's some buddies of mine. They they're a local death metal band. Uh, really love them and really love having them on on uh, certain bills um i mean of course genocide pact they've they've definitely made a name for themselves recently too that's another area band
0: i actually know uh isn't isn't uh one of the guys in perpetuated also in tomb warden
3: yes tommy which um yeah tomb warden is another band his his uh his other band brain pan is another one um that's that's really I, you know I, doing doing I good feel things like for the pan scene. Played
0: with artificial brain maybe did they did they open I up that show so. that we did yeah. there uh, a few years ago at the pinch? Okay, at the pinch. I, the, I you just think you so. just found yeah. the last brain cell that's allegedly still working in my head. I remembered something. <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, I mean, on on that note too about things changing, like like you've booked, now you're like knee deep in this. You're booking the shows. Uh, agent, your agents are like calling you up, like like I need a place to stick Modern English for the night. You know what I mean, like. <laughs> how do you keep <laughs> from getting burnt out on uh, on music and how do you still stay excited about all this
3: Um, i mean you know like i i will the last few years i've definitely you know tried to really see what i can do and what i can't do and there's a lot of other there's other promoters in the area too that have been popping up and i if i can't do the show then i'll i'll try to like make sure you know that the band can get help from someone else um you know taking breaks like this this the last year i decided to uh not really put on shows during the winter and that was really a good idea for me to you know just you know re-examine what i want to do with the the upcoming year and uh really plan from there and yeah just taking breaks uh not really taking on everything and and yeah, knowing when to say no to certain bands, or you know, uh, trying to help out when you can, and not try to do everything—that's um, really helped. And yeah, just constantly listening to new stuff that's out there. Uh, it's really awesome when you know I, I find a demo I really like, and and I reach out to a band, and you know they're really excited about playing live too, and we keep in contact, and if and when they do want to tour. Um, they hit me up and it it works out and that really gets me excited too so just constantly listening finding and listening to new music out there
0: yeah and and so uh you know with that being said we do uh upload our episodes on a little bit of a delay but um we figure this is probably going to be uh out there in june i don't know if there's any shows you have booked coming up there is one uh what what are we doing we're doing august 16th Hassan?
3: Uh yes yeah August sixteenth yeah, yeah Afterbirth,
0: afterbirth is going to be doing a, a very rare out of state live performance for Afterbirth I'm not even I'm not even joking man some <laughs> of those guys got kids and jobs and I don't know anything about any of that stuff but um we're we're gonna be there uh, and who else is performing at the sidebar there August sixteenth with Afterbirth
3: um so I believe you guys are coming yes. with Vomit Forth. um and also on that bill will be Skullshitter from New York and death grave from oakland california they're touring together and opening that show will be a new local band it'll actually be their first show uh okay. plague bearer it's just a bunch of baltimore dudes who play in other bands uh, it'll this will be uh, their first show with plague dudes uh, they're really sick death awesome, metal man
0: and uh, i'm obviously hyped for that but is there any other shows uh, coming up in like uh, june july august that you have booked that you want to talk about
3: Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited, uh, that I'm going to be finally be doing a show for Voivod. Um, yeah, we'll be announcing that in the next two weeks. Um, that's always been, you know, given the name of my promotion company, Ripping Headaches, it's a Voivod song. Uh, they've, they've always, you know, been, they've been one of my favorite bands and, um, me and Adam Savage, who, you know, I mentioned earlier, He's, he's one of the main bookers as well in Baltimore for Soundstage and Metro Gallery. Me and him are going to be doing a show for Voivod, so I'm really excited about announcing that one. Um, but yeah, coming up uh, this Thursday, I've got um, Shape of Despair from awesome. Finland. Uh, they're an old school funeral doom band. They've been around for, I, I'd say, probably say like 20 plus years. It'll be their one of their first U.S. shows. Uh, they're playing... DC, New York, and Portland, Oregon. So, three days in the States. Um, really excited and uh, looking forward to that. That's a band I never thought I would see live. Wow. DC to New York to Portland, Oregon. <clears throat> yeah, they're playing uh, the fest, uh, the Eternal oh, okay. Warfare I, Fest. I, yeah, I knew Portland, there had to be Oregon. a reason that's some um, round to two-show layover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they got asked to play that fest, and uh, they're flying into New York, and the promoter of the fest asked me if i would help out with a dc show and yeah that's how it came about um yeah it's it's really cool getting a lot of exclusive shows and a lot of international bands that have you know never played toured the states before and um recently i hosted uh that band uh sinmara from iceland for and it was their first us tour and they had a great time in dc um they mentioned it was you know definitely one of the The best shows that they played so it's it's always cool hearing that from like international bands or bands that you know haven't really toured extensively in the states um but yeah uh going back to anything else coming up um me and adam are also doing uh two back-to-back shows for midnight from uh cleveland uh really awesome venom motorhead worship uh we asked them if they'd like to come down and play Baltimore and DC and the DC show sold out back in January um the show isn't uh the show will be on um Saturday at Atlas so looking forward to the shows but yeah there's quite a few uh other bands that you know I kind of have on my bucket list that I'd like to to book someday and yeah it's it's like I said it's really coming together like I didn't really Think it would get as big as it did. Do you see
0: yourself, or maybe I don't know. Do you do this a uh, full time as a profession, or do you see yourself doing it one day as a profession? If not,
3: no. This is pretty much what I do in my free time. I have my nine to five job. I'm I'm a social worker. Uh, that's that's what I what I do, and that's 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 my passion. Uh, and then in my free time, uh, I love putting on shows and organizing shows and helping out bands and you know really trying to bring new bands to the area and expose people to different kinds of music or bands um, yeah one of the reasons uh i do it is because you know it's it's really cool when you introduce a band to a friend and it's really cool when you know you bring a, a band to the area and someone comes up to you and they're like i had no idea who that band was and now like i i love everything that they do and like i'm buying all their merch and stuff like that so that's it's really cool um but yeah pretty much it's a labor of love uh i definitely do treat it like a like a second job but it kind of becomes a routine and i kind of you kind of have a system where of you know how it should be done and yeah, it just becomes second nature. Uh, yeah,
0: and you actually, I actually did. You know, it's funny. I've known you for a while, and I didn't realize your day job was working as a social worker. Sometimes when we when we hang out at death metal shows, we don't even get into what what people do outside of death metal. Um, but something right, I wanted to yeah. ask you actually is, you do book shows <laughs> from time to time that are maybe benefit shows or awareness raising shows for different uh, social and political causes.
3: Yeah, no, and um, I've definitely you know uh, tried to put on benefit shows or help out different, um, causes. Uh, most recently, um, I put on, I helped put on a benefit show with, uh, my buddies, Tommy and Jordo, who have their own, uh, promotion company called Crowbars up. Uh, they're, they're really doing good work for the area as well. Um, our buddies, Ilsa had their gear stolen, um, when they were on tour, Ooh. their stop in Seattle. It was the last stop of their oh. tour in Seattle. Um, they had their gear stolen out of their van, and we just got together, me, Tommy, and Jordan and we're like, you know, we should really try to do something for these guys because they've been such a pillar of the community, and for as long as we've known them, they've had the same gear, and, you know, they've, they've always helped out the scene here, you know, it'd be nice if we could give back to them, so we started, you know, working on the idea of having a benefit show, uh, reached out to our buddies Inter Arma just a local band yeah, for us big here but too man
2: that's they, another they band that's... in brooklyn what <laughs> a great band they do real yeah, good yeah brooklyn.
3: <laughs> they're no they and that's the thing like we we consider them like oh yeah those are just you know our our local buddies and yeah they bring out a lot of people so we we had them play and yeah it was a great benefit show we were able to get ilsa a, a good chunk of money to help them out but yeah also you know just like local causes uh local benefits um try to help out as much as we can to the community and and give back
0: that's great man and it also uh it, it it puts um a good reputation and a good image on the type of music that you're putting out there and maybe keeps it from um being rejected by the community and by local venues i think sometimes when when you show that you're trying to be part of the local community rather than uh maybe someone who's just trying to come in and make a little money for the weekend you know
3: yeah no totally and it's like you know like I, a lot of people have a certain image about the kind of music but you know once you get to like meet the people behind the music they're just like everyone else man like everyone's just trying to live and you know uh, try to do the right thing and yeah, a lot, of, a lot of these bands believe in, you know, certain causes, and they're more than happy to play these benefit shows and, and help out people yeah. in need, you know? So,
0: all right, well, um, just, you know, closing up, I want to be respectful of your time, and we, we also want to get to music recommendations, but I want to ask you also, where, because you, you book a lot of bands, you see bands come and go, uh, you're in the environment, and the different scenes... Where do you see death metal going, and where do you see not just regionally where you're from, but like what, what do you see in the future for death metal and for
3: shows and and for the style? Oh man, uh, I mean, I really like what uh, there's a label called Maggot yes. Stomp. They're doing they really they what everything they're putting out is is just gold, and they really you know have set a name for themselves strictly because they've really you know. Kind of uh, adopted the moniker of like caveman death metal, just like meat and potatoes, bare bones, death metal. Where you know, as for a while, like I'd say a few years ago, like people really into like techie or like more like proggy stuff. Which don't get me wrong, like I I like some of that stuff too. But I really see see like a lot of death metal really embracing that like kind of just bare bones, like meat and potato, like just. Kind of uh, like like when Maggot Stomp advertises, just like caveman style. Yeah, death people animal. are going.
0: It's it's all going back to what I like. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. It's yeah, it's great. Yeah, It's, yeah. it's <laughs> all going back to like that true, you know, essence uh, death metal man. That real brutal shit. Uh, all right, man. Well, I mean, you know, now talking about um, you already recommended Maggot Stomp uh, records. Yeah,
2: mag- no, I was just uh, I was just looking back at my notes from a, yeah. uh, a few episodes ago because I did uh, I brought in that uh, Mortal Wound, which is on Maggot Stomp yeah that, oh, that yeah, was great. killer and yeah and coffin eyes check that out too gutless and uh church of disgust those were some really uh great stuff and i'm sure there's a lot more coming from that label
3: yeah there there's uh there's a lot of great stuff coming out of uh la and uh, and, and the bay area um but yeah maggot stomp uh 20 yes. bucks spin also it's been putting out a lot of great old school style death metal if, if if you want to call it that, um, and and Dark Descent mm-hmm. has always been like the forerunner for that stuff yeah, as well. Yeah,
0: uh, Dark Descent, and twenty bucks spin. We've talked about on the show before. I'm a big fan of Scorched, uh, and I picked up their their vinyl. Like I guess their demo, their two of their demos on a, on on one vinyl, and then their album on another vinyl. Mm-hmm. I got man, but yeah, twenty bucks spin. Yeah, Dark yeah, Descent, Altar, great labels. Uh, on yeah, twenty bucks spin. Yeah. Foul. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, just yeah, uh, twenty bucks
1: spin. Just put out their new thing.
3: Yeah, I mean. Uh, I, I really love what bands like you know uh two mold superstition uh fetid um you know those those style of bands that you know they kind of they they harken back to a lot of, to like an older sound but they still kind of keep it fresh and interesting you know because they don't just go by the numbers uh they kind of add something to it and it i could i just see death metal just adapting to that sort of style more yeah, and more. Yeah, kind
0: of returning not all the way back to the roots but uh, to to maybe a fresher time. Uh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> there's a progre- there's
1: a progression in songwriting while uh, kind of going a not being as computer sounding. Yeah, yeah.
0: Pre-, pre right. Johnny 5 on the drums. Um, all right. Well, I mean, with that being said, you want to just keep rolling uh, right into uh, album recommendations and give us um, Hassan your your recommendations for a newer release and an older release by bands that are maybe uh, a little underrated or overlooked.
3: Um, so lately, I've really uh, been listening to, and this is a release that came out last year. This band called Desolation okay. Realm. Uh, they just put out this self titled EP. Um, they're all from, I believe, Norway and it's it's some of like the best time ghoul worship you'll ever hear. Um, I think that there's a lot of bands trying to key in on that sound, like time ghoul and Octurnus and that type of stuff, but this band Desolation Realm, like right down to like the production and just like the, the coldness of like the vocals and, and the guitar riffing it sounds like a continuation of Time Ghoul cool, if Time cool, like still kept on playing and, and putting out stuff. So that's a newer band I, I really enjoy and I, I can't wait for them to put something else out.
0: What's your older recommendation? What's something older that you think uh, people should check out if they haven't heard it?
3: So I've been really getting into. Uh, there's this band from Sweden uh, called Crypt of Kerberos. I don't know if, if you're familiar. They've, Crypt of who? They've Crypt of uh, Kerberos. Kerberos. How do you spell it? Uh, so Kerberos, k e okay, We're all here with our
0: notebooks and our pens. Um, Liter- literally, we are. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so they they put out some demos and eps uh you know they they came out around you know the same time as you know bands like entomb dismember and you know at the gates but they were kind of doing something different compared to their peers they they didn't really have that sunlight studio sound um they kind of have this odd like almost like finished death metal sound that you'd get with like you know bands Uh-oh. like Demolic or like uh Well's excited you know, well. uh, you know <laughs> Yeah, just like really like oddball and like kind of dirty, almost like doom death. Uh, I really have been listening to them a lot, and yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised that you know they haven't really like uh, taken off. Like, I don't see a lot of people yeah, mentioning I, them. I
0: just had to take my shirt off when you said that. I'm ready to fight somebody.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing, man. Demolic, I would. That's like on my bucket list of of bands
0: to mm, put on a show mm, for. Yeah, I, I, I wish
3: that for you too.
0: Yeah i know because that would mean they're coming back stateside on <laughs> yeah. the east coast <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah man uh yeah classic i definitely gotta check out this uh crypt of uh kerberus uh band uh if i said if i said it right man that's interesting kind of more of a finish sound
3: yeah i would i would check out their uh ancient war ep but there's also a compilation where uh a label like compiled like all their demos and eps but yeah it's it's great stuff um it's definitely different from a lot of the other swedish death metal bands of that time
0: So we talked a lot uh, tonight. You recommended a lot of uh, bands for us, and we talked a lot about the scene uh, down there in the Baltimore, D.C. area. Hassan, we really appreciate your time. Um, Is there anything that you just wanted to say uh, to to anyone listening or anything you wanted to add to the discussion, anything I forgot to ask you about? Yeah, plug something. Yeah.
3: Oh, man. Uh, I mean, again, like I I just want to, you know, give my thanks to, like, people like Adam Savage, uh, Tommy and Jordo, Chris Moore, um all of whom have been a great help with like, uh, helping me get into promoting shows and giving me advice and really taking me under their wing and, uh, offering support. Um, and yeah, Tommy and Jordo are doing great things in the area as well with crowbars up, uh, Adam Savage does great stuff with, with his, uh, promotion company. Um, yeah, the whole area, everyone's pretty supportive, you know, promoters. There isn't any type of competition. Um, Everyone's all try, Everyone's just trying to do the same thing. So, yeah, uh, just want to give them a shout-out for being really supportive. Uh, all right,
0: and if people are in the area, whether they, they live there and they, they're looking for shows or they're just cruising through for the weekend, they want to see what's going on, where can people look for Ripping Headaches Promotions shows?
3: So they could uh, either, through Facebook, just search Ripping Headaches Promotions and there's an event link so you'll see all our upcoming events uh they could also go on instagram and search ripping headaches and follow the page on instagram and see what upcoming shows i have um but yeah those are two of the ways um and that's another thing i still will go out and post flyers around the city uh i'll still go to shows and pass out flyers occasionally so a mix of a mix of online and offline promotion because not everyone has Facebook not everyone lives on the internet you're absolutely
0: (laughs) right and just a quick note um, 2011 Maryland Death Fest uh, Artificial Brain was all planning to go just as fans just for fun uh, to, to watch bands and um I pressed the issue, I made sure we got uh, little demos pressed up, like one song demos pressed up and we passed CDs out all weekend just to random people and we were, by that point in 2011 that was dead, there was only a few other people doing that so I think I think it makes you stand out more as a band or as a promoter or anybody now when you just get out on the street and push that flyer or that promotional product because it's all internet based nowadays, so when you do it the old school way it makes you stand out, it gives people something that's that they even haven't seen the younger people, you know?
3: Oh totally and you know like a a lot of times like people just don't know where to look and when you they see a flyer or you pass them a flyer they that's that's something new for them they didn't know that uh, those those kinds of bands were coming through or these venues were were around for them to see those bands so yeah it's it's also a good way for like people that just aren't in the know about waiting for shows to to find out yeah
0: yeah, absolutely man that's that's a great attitude to have as a promoter so uh hassan uh ripping headaches promotions um if you're in the area definitely go to a show and wherever you are go to a local show and if you're uh if you're an aspiring promoter listen to what the man said tonight man we really appreciate your time hassan
3: thank you guys thank you so much
0: for having
2: me on thanks for calling in dude learned a lot about what you're doing
0: Cheers, guys. Thanks, Hope right. to see I you absolutely respect, show. brother. I'll be in touch, man. I'll talk to you before August.
3: All right. Take care, man.
2: So hopefully now some of you listeners understand what it's like to promote.
0: Yeah. When you, uh, when you go to your your next uh, local show that you hit up man, you know, just pay attention to what's going on. Is it running smooth? Is the sound good? Is there not uh, a crazy amount of bands on the bill? Is it is it is it running alright? You know what I mean? Like these are the things like these promoters man, they kind of got to be like he's got to be diplomatic because he's dealing with the club, he's dealing with the touring bands, he's dealing with the fans, the security, the sound engineer, he's dealing with everybody at once. Mm-hmm. He's also trying to make sure that, that there's not like an hour in between bands. You know, a lot of times bands don't, you know, they're like the drummer just takes his sweet time setting up and breaking down, and there's still a half a drum kit on stage while the next band's trying to get on. These are all things he's got to be mindful of. So it's it's tough booking shows, man. I, so it's like I mentioned before, I book a show here or there, but a lot of times I book free shows too, man. Like I rarely book an official show because it's stressful, bro. That shit wears me down, man. You know, the what,
1: the best ones. They're involved in the scene. You know, uh, they know who's coming up, uh-huh. um, they, they know everybody personally. You know, or try to make those personal connections and uh, make an enjoyable time, you know, because at the end of the day, playing music should be fun.
0: Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. And you know what else is fun? Recommending new albums to the listeners. Bing bong. Oh. Ooh. Come on. Riding your segues. All right. I'm ready.
2: You ready? Yeah. All right. What dude. You, you
1: looked ready the way no, you stretched. I was going to propose some sort of rock, paper, scissor. All right. But <laughs> you, you won already. So yeah, that's... I threw the
0: rocks and the scissors and the paper out the window. Ready to go. What, what do you want? You want old or you want new, man? We'll, oh, we'll, we'll do with the new. I, I like All that right. format. All right. New. I got something for you guys. It's so new that they're not Encyclopedia Metallum yet. Wow. Oh, All right. Me too. Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> this guy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, uh, they're, they're called um, sub-levels one word, S-U-B-L-E-V-E-L-S, sublevels, they're from Argentina, uh, and they have a new album out, you can find it on their band camp, it's called La Muerte del Sol, which if I'm not mistaken means the death of light,
1: or death, death, of, death of the sun, maybe, yeah, death the, of sun,
0: yeah, either way it's dark, uh, just like the album, man, I mean, this is, oh boy, it, I, it's tough to describe, um... I, I, I don't want to draw comparisons to other bands right off the bat because I feel like I, I'm going to sh- like short sell this or something. It's just very original and unique. Um, there's something kind of organic in the production. It's not total old school Corpse production where they're trying to replicate any old sounds n- nostalgically, but uh, the drums are super real sounding. I love the production. Uh, and these guys, they have like an epic... Foreboding quality that is uh, maybe something like how you know how uh, Behemoth has those parts where the guys like you know floating above the water in a cloak and sure yeah and it sounds like that
1: too yeah it sounds gigantic
0: but these guys they're not like for the theatrics they take this and they twist it to a kind of a dissonant psychedelia if you will Uh, and then there's like impassioned melodic doomy parts there's weird timing going on these guys really take the substance of death metal i mean i i i hate the idea of comparing them to other bands but it's almost like an old morbid angel meets behemoth uh but like then abstracted into like a a gore guts uh type of thing almost man like later era gore guts these guys are really doing something groundbreaking and different in death metal They're not just taking those influences. They're not like a band that just sounds exactly like all these bands I'm talking about, and it's so hard for me to put into words without comparing it, man, but it's just really uh, epic uh, music that's able to naturally and organically shift gears between kind of psychedelic and um, dissonant to uh, really impassioned and and, uh, melodic, but in an evil way, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know you're trying not to compare to other bands, but the way I feel about the when you're comparing stuff, especially with this kind of music, um, you use it as a tool.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's
2: a difference between like a cheap comparison, where you compare them to one band and then use a shittily thought-out adjective or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you use the comparisons as a tool, which I think you're doing a pretty good job painting, painting what this band is doing
0: with yeah, comparisons. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I, you know, I. I uh... I needed the confidence boost there because I'm having a hard time describing this. I, I can't describe this. You got to listen to it. Um, this is, in my opinion, the next big... This, this is my next big thing in death metal. I got to really listen to this. I, li- I listened to it last night once through and I listened to most of it on my commute today uh, back and forth to work. Um, just, just such an amazing death metal album with so much going on. Not a genre switch uh, type of gimmick thing going on, but they really have a handle on a lot of different parts of death metal and uh, different subgenres of death metal that they can pull from. Almost to me it sounds like a futuristic death metal band that has taken influence from what has been going on the last decade or so. Hmm. Uh, with your dissonant bands and your uh, you know celebration of the more old school bands and like this 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 band is kinda like I, I see like the next evolution of uh, of that particular style of death metal. Definitely for fans of Gore Guts, Ulcerate. Demolich um, you know any of the usual stuff that I, I always revere and bring to the table man I'm not gonna talk about it anymore you just gotta check out sub levels uh, and all the all the lyrics and song titles are uh, en espanol I believe too. So that's, that's another little note uh, just for the fans um, I was able to actually uh, tell the album title myself that's that's uh, that's the extent of my espanol so. <laughs> but uh, yeah check out these guys sub levels from uh, Argentina man they'll even help you uh, learn learn a couple of new words and they, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this is their third album. I haven't even gone back and checked out the first two, oh. which is even stranger why they wouldn't be on Metallum, because they, they they pick up a rock and they, they find a band and put them on Metallum. The Everyone's on there.
1: So, bringing something a little more, a uh, little more down and chill to the whole today. I have the Physics House Band. Their their EP came out earlier this month, May 2019. The Death Sequence EP. Uh, this is a, a band from the bright from Brighton, UK. Huh. I found this on a, a, like a iTunes kind of random search thing. Uh, listening to some, I think I was listening like Cynic or something like that, and it, it brought me to this this kind of like beautiful band that's a harmonious meld of, of jazz fusion uh, psychedelic prog and, and tech metal is that a saxophone? it is a saxophone yeah and there's a live saxophone player in this band uh, comprised of, of four members uh, why not uh, Sam, uh, Samuel Organ Adam Hutchinson, Dave Morgan and Miles Spilsby uh, they, the four of them met at college in, uh, in Brighton um, I would have to, you know, only assume studying music. Between the four of them, they play thirty-three instruments. Oh boy! And, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, they have they have a couple of records before this, um, and very, very like music school kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, in, incredible jazz, and uh, I, I kind of dug this because it was uh, it's a little darker than than what they put out in the past, and it kind of gives you that like a, a bit like this this floating evilness. Um, in, in a in a jazzy kind of way, uh, reminding me a little bit of like Mars Volta um, in, in their darkest parts, uh, and then harkens back to like Prog stuff like Yes or like Atheist. You know, mm-hmm. wow, this is really beautiful stuff. Though. It's 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 cool, man. Even, even like I, I, I hear like some of the the weird uh, flowy Gorguts kind of like clean over over heavy drums and, and bass and stuff like uh, like in this a little bit as, as you as you float through the record love the fact that the bulk of this record was written over the course of two weeks uh, in a secluded farmhouse uh, (laughs) just outside of their hometown wow so you know when a band just kind of hunkers down uh, and shuts himself off and and comes out with some Crazy shit! Shout out to Airbnb. This sounds like
0: a like a like a dark farm a little bit to me. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm a sucker for that saxophone, right? Yes. there. This sounds great, yeah. man. Interesting stuff, man. But
1: that's kind of where uh, a lot of the Mars Volta uh, comparisons come to with me, because they have an amazing saxophone player, like on Francis the Mutant stuff, and a lot of their you know ambient instrumental kind of spin-offs. Uh, I feel like that tone is there. So this is a strictly instrumental band though right yeah strictly instrumental but they, there is an appearance by I the guy's name there's a, there's a UK comic on the, on the third track of this record who just kind of does some spoken word
0: um, like, don't tell me Russell Brand shit. is on us. no <laughs> I, can, right. I, can it. I can look at up that, up that up would have ruined up. it for me alright If it's Mr. Bean, I'm going to be hyped.
2: Rowan Atkinson? Yeah, him on. Yeah, I'm just thinking about all the... You ever hear the swishing of his eyebrows in the condenser mic? Wow, this is really cool. Stuart Lee. uh, British comedian Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee does a a
1: little kind of spoken word piece over there. But predominantly an instrumental
2: band. Oh, I know this cat. Yep, English. (laughs) (laughs) Totally It's English is biscuits. Yeah, I, you were playing this for me the other night while I was having fine whiskey. Compliments of Andy from Praise the Game podcast. If you're listening for gaming stuff, go to that podcast. We don't talk games here, but, you know, we talk heavy music and sometimes drinking. Um, we don't play games. No, no games. But, yeah, I was really enjoying the whole EP that you showed me. Uh, I was kind of surprised. But in a good way.
1: Yeah, you know, you listen to some jazz really stuff, and it's like, it's, you know, I'm not really. There, there's no substance here, but I feel like there's a there's a lot to dig into. Yes and listen to it around a uh, around a fire, you know, in a wooded backyard. It's kind of the best setting.
2: My new band, and self-titled EP, Grief Hole. Oof. Lube up everyone. Right in it. Yeah. This was released April 23rd, 2019, self-published, found this one on Bandcamp, not a lot of info on these guys. Love it. They have a Facebook page, but there's like nothing on them. Nothing on Metalum, so I'm having a hard time bringing up anything else to the table about these guys feel like this is a prime example of what Heavy Hole can do for our listeners, where we find these little things and bring it up. So, Grief Hole right here. It's a short EP. It's five songs totaling at under 11 minutes. This is grindy, gritty shit also with the hardcore influence that, that co- goes in and out.
0: What I like about the, the guitars is noisy and scratchy as they sound. The hard pan that they have makes them sound very, like, uh, like, Separate and and distinctive, you yes. know what I mean. So it's got that raw guitar tone, but it's all like fenced in with the with the drums and the other music. It sits nicely, very good. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God, those guitar tones, man. The bass yeah. and the it's like mud. Mm-hmm. It's so sick.
1: on a mission find out more about this hole this grief hole this yes. grief hole huh. yeah as I if there's it's... nothing out there we got we got to start writing letters mm-hmm. we got to maybe i don't know do some phone calls trace the number to an area do we know, do we know where they're from bath uk bath uk in the hole all right we'll have to like call our resources the heavy hole resources uh you know we got eyes and ears all across the globe uh, we'll
2: put feelers out try and find more information about ah. this band absolutely grief holds one word by the way so uh will i heard you got something for us
0: do i ever and um i didn't i didn't put on the rubber glove and reach all the way into the crypts and and take out like the atmosphere of death uh you know crypt keeper edition tape uh, this this <laughs> week I'll I'll promise I'll be back next week with with that, okay? (laughs) But uh, this is very important to me. I brought my cassette version of Buried Alive, uh, their album The Death of Your Perfect World, which came out on 1999 on Victory Records. Uh, I know Yeah, some ah. people some people are like. Hey, Will, what's going on here? Well, I have a Victory Records band coming right up. But okay, <laughs> okay, all right. Now I just now, guys, the listeners can't see. Tell the listeners how worn this cassette is. Oh, That's, Jesus! Yeah, this is uh from 1999. Victory Records. I bought this at Tower Records of Huntington. My God! Wow, I uh, don't know if you guys run remember? over by a car. Do you guys even remember Tower Records of Huntington? Oh uh,
2: yes, I I was, bought yeah. yeah I bought yeah. plenty of things there. Mm-hmm. That was the first place I bought a. Cannibal
0: Corpse CD. I don't know okay. if you guys have
2: heard of Cannibal Corpse. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, uh, yeah, we could do a whole episode on Tower Records memories. Yeah. But yeah, this the reason it's so worn, it wasn't run over by a car, but it was played <laughs> in many of my old cars, but uh, especially my 88 Oldsmobile that I used to drive back and forth to Huntington High School. Oh, man. Um, That's a machine, man. This oh, album, I, you guys know I'm not really the hardcore guy. I'm not the black metal guy. I'm not the ska guy. I'm the death metal and gore grind guy, if anything. Hmm. Um, and even at that, you know, the brain cells aren't what they used to be, allegedly. But this Buried Alive, man, I was into, uh, you know, like your hate breed when they first came out. Blood for Blood. Uh, Tension from Long Island was a big one, man. Some of your heavier hardcore bands, uh, you know, in our circle of friends that were into death metal always made it. We're from Long, I- Long Island. It was the late 90s. Um, And this album in particular I want to talk about. People might know this best because it was uh, Scott Vogel of Terror, the hardcore band Terror. Uh, His band before he joined Terror. Um, They were from Buffalo, New York. Uh, I believe they only put out this album along with like a 7-inch and an EP here or there. Uh, But this album is fucking great, man. And I remember... Uh, the reason I brought it tonight is because I feel like it's a little relevant and ahead of its time in this era because nowadays we're dealing with a lot of death metal-influenced um, hardcore bands where they're, t- they're trying to take that Swedish guitar tone, that classic Entombed and Dismember. Uh, it was HM2 pedal guitar tone. And I remember hearing this 17 or 18-year-old Will, who was all about death metal at the time, hearing this Buried Alive album and thinking, wow, these guys are practically playing Swedish death metal just without um, the intense melody. But the guitar tones are there, the 1-2-1-2 skank kind of thrash element is there, and even the vocals sound like some of the throatier vocals that they had in uh, those European bands back then Who weren't as guttural in the old school Like, this an, album, like an early Inflames kind of sound like. uh, Yeah, yeah, something like that I've always said, well yeah, Entombed and Dismember Kind of like, sure. um, you know, or like the other half Of that Inflames coin, depending who you talk to Man, when you talk about Swedish death metal But yeah, it's that, that production, that vocal style That guitar tone Without so much attention maybe to the melody uh, But this is just like That hard-hitting, hardcore influence, man This is such a fucking great album, dude um, just solid, man. And for my uh, my fellow brutal death metal heads who only venture so far into hardcore, this is a really good look. Uh, Victory Records was great in the late '90s to me. Um, they had so many great brutal metal influenced hardcore bands, and also you could get like your uh, your Warzone uh, album and your, you know a couple of like the, the more old school records and stuff. You know, this is before Victory Records was synonymous with like bands like Atreyu. And right. um, and before they signed pathology, which was a great look for death metal, but also kind of like, you know, okay, that's weird. That was an interesting choice there,
2: but I yeah. know what you mean where it's like you know victory is this this uh, this second wave of hardcore in a way.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what it was looked at. And the late 90s victory was a lot more consistent and um, kind of streamlined with this second wave, you know, metallic hardcore, if that's what we're calling it. <clears throat> Bottom line, Buried Alive to me was like the cream of the crop. Uh, I enjoyed Hatebreed when they first came out, and then Buried Alive I heard. By the way, Jamie Josta does a guest appearance on this album on cool. one song um and i heard this buried alive and this is just to the next step man this is about as heavy as you could get with hardcore in my opinion back then man and it might be something to revisit now in this era where hardcore bands are more and more adapting death metal techniques and uh sonic styling should we say so yeah yeah. i think you're hearing this now in bands like jesus peace
1: Thank like you. That's it and stuff like that. Like That's really, it. really heavy, heavy hardcore bands. that are that are getting away from the you know your two step breakdown kind of more punky stuff. But like you could yeah, the more like heavier, brutal death metal uh, influence. Thank you, hardcore. Justin.
0: You, you just summed up my point uh, entirely. And I and I was kind of like thinking of this when I first heard this back in '99. So you know, ahead of its time. Buried alive.
2: Awesome.
1: This is between the baronemies, 2003. Victory Records released *The Silent Circus*, their sophomore album. Hmm. Uh, uh, man, this this album uh, is really like the, this kind of like missing link between. I feel like death metal and, and and Prague in a in a modern sense, in a modern sense of thinking. Um, it's it's a, it's a new level of genre blending. Uh, it, it laid the foundation for a new new definition of, of progressive metal, progressive death metal. Um, a lot of people people kind of compared Between the Buried and Me to what Dillinger Escape Plan was doing in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Mm. Um, I feel like Between the Buried and Me took a more structured approach, uh, songwriting-wise, uh, a more death metal approach to it, especially in, in this record. Uh, less, less grindy, stop-start, kind of, you know, math. Rock in, in, in a in a, in a, spara- a spastic way, yeah. Uh, more of this like riff, this like technical riff blending one to another, and then throwing in these sort of like other you know other like musical influences into it. You know, I try to put myself like in in the time period of, of this coming out, and and at least my reaction when I first heard this was like, I didn't really know what to think. You know, coming from from I guess like listening to thrash and like and and early 2000s hardcore, this kind of melted everything together and opened up a
2: a window into into all the other genres that they were kind of exploring. It's like it's intentionally disjointed you know what I mean? Like when you listen to this album, there's so many things happening. They're catching you off guard, but they're also providing these really well-written grooves that you're sitting in and it feels like not too long, but you kind of just want to go back and listen to the song again.
0: It's There's, Prague. It's they're, they're trying to be a Prague band, so they're putting a lot of different genres and techniques and cramming it into one song. I and think it, and that's the,
1: a great yeah. That's a great way to put and it And when they write,
0: it's more of like an exercise in I don't want to say showing off, but it's an exercise in uh, demonstrating uh, a wide dynamic range of influences, you know, and and also keeping the entertainer uh, keeping the the listener entertained and and you know. Fascinated in, in that way, you know?
1: Well, I think that's where I'm going to disagree with you. I think this this particular Between the Better to Me record um, has a, a, a better songwriting quality than, say, your band that's just kind of showing off, which is, like, I think what this band became in later albums. Fair enough, So yeah. I think, like, yeah. the reason why yeah. I bring this, I think this is the most uh, overlooked Between the Better to Me record. You know, uh-huh. you have the first one, and I feel like, you know, it's hard to overlook the first very first record, like you, you go back to see what they put out. The first one, fine. This, this one has uh, the the band has personally shunned, like like Tom said before, like refusing to play
2: certain songs off of this record. They won't play any songs now. That's yeah. It. I mean, I don't go see this band because what you were just saying before, Will, where I feel like they're just showing off. The last time I saw them, I just got that. But when I saw them back in yeah. the day, and this was the album and circuit, I was like, it made more sense to me, and I didn't feel like I was getting jerked off on.
0: You know. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I you know, th- these guys are really ahead of their time when you think about how like and they, they, they you know the big influencer uh, of how there's this huge scene now of people that want to kind of blend elements of Prague with metal and hardcore, mm-hmm. and that's like a huge deal now, man. But. Yeah, I like these guys on this what was the album right after this one? Was it Alaska? Alaska, Alaska. Alaska I Alaska thought was a good. beautiful album. I yeah, thought it had a lot good. of great moments. I don't listen to it all the time. I have I actually have a, a copy of it uh, somewhere, but um but Alaska's where they started to get more prog. I don't think
1: there's very yeah. much prog in this record. I well, think he, this is just kind of like death metal tech. hardcore, tech. yeah. It's grind tech. riffs kind of yeah. melted together with like little pops of maybe like blues or emo or you know, yeah. whatever it, it's it kind of laid the foundation for a lot of like your techie deathcore kind of stuff like your Sumerian kind yeah. of uh, yeah. Sumerian records kind of sound uh, from from back here
0: I uh, I talked before about the buried alive coming out in 99 and I was in high school and then that was like Victor. I told you know Victory Records was like the metal the second wave metal hardcore thing like all the bands started to use Slayer type of riffs and stuff mm-hmm. and Earth Crisis or whatever And then, like, in the early 2000s, you see again like this, like, with Between the Buried and Me was doing here, like, it's almost like the hardcore scene moved past just adding metal techniques and chug-chug stuff until, like, now they were adding full-on grind and death metal influences, and you see that more and more, and this was a huge... Because Between the Buried and Me comes from the hardcore scene and played mainly to hardcore kids when they first came out, you know what I mean? And... Uh, you know, they've obviously gone well beyond. You know, whatever whatever scene they came from now with what they do now, but that was they were a big example of like people in the hardcore scene that were associated with the hardcore scene and played hardcore shows, but they were basically playing like technical metal. You know what I mean? It had to have
1: been a hard band to fit in, you know, to to, to place. Well,
0: there was a lot, this was a big deal. This was a big deal in the early 2000s. These guys were like obviously, you know, above and beyond a lot of bands that were coming out and way more technically uh, proficient. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of bands that were trying to do the epic death metal, black metal, but were really a hardcore band thing in the early 2000s. And it, you know, it was a few years before I think these guys kind of like led the way too in a lot of ways. And then a few, they they all found the the death chord direction, and then you know now we're at where we're at now, where you can't even tell the difference anymore. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like crazy.
2: Well, yeah, spot on.
1: One of the funny things to me about this record is uh, is lyrically like a, a certain self awareness of exactly what we were talking about, or uh, or maybe just a self awareness of the perception of the band. Uh, later in the record, the song Add a Limit." Just mm-hmm. like, a misspelled text word, a text message that the singer got one time, and he's like, right, I'm just gonna make that the song name. Yeah. Um, cool. You know, the whole, like, clean part. Nonsense, rambling, uh, gibberish lyrics, like, the, the entire way. Um, because you know, everybody was like, well, we don't understand what you're saying. You're kind of just doing this, like, you know, weird, screamy shit. Uh, and they get to this, like, beautiful, like, clean, open part, and the lyrics are like, you know, it all makes sense. We're capable of beauty. And they... Kind of like show this like softer side of it and i wonder if like them going off into this like prog like realm was like was kind of out of spite to you know people like wanting to be accepted by a, a more mainstream type uh audience and, and not getting that recognition for the the, the hmm. talented musicians that they were
2: Also have a album, an old one.
0: <laughs> is it from
2: Victory Records? It
0: is not. That's interesting because both both of your new albums were from the United Kingdom, and mm-hmm. both of our old albums were from Victory Records.
2: Oof. Well, I got Florida right
0: here. <laughs> oh, I-, I recognize this, man. You did. Oh, yeah. You did a thing to me right now. I did. You put I did. me there. You took me back. This is. Uh, if you don't know, if you haven't
2: haven't been able to pick this out from the audio behind. Our sweet voices. This is Atheist's Unquestionable Presence. Yes. And this is a band we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. hmm It took me a little while to get into them, in a way, to be honest. No fault of the band, because mm-hmm. this band, their whole career is laying down some of the most original, inspired death metal that has prog elements, and it has jazz elements, and it has Latin elements, like a motherfucker. Great drum rhythms all throughout, but uh-huh. this album is kind of their pinnacle. Yes. Before this, there was Peace of Time," uh, which I believe was released in 1990, and I think there was some discrepancy between the labels that it was put out on. So it came out in Europe like a few months earlier. Uh, but this is the the album for atheists if you're gonna start somewhere, because "Piece of Time" is also great. I'm not trying to knock it at all. In fact, Kelly Schaefer, who's the vocalist, if you didn't know this, he was also the guitar player on the first three albums they did. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't do Um, they they are technically still active. They don't play around that much. There was a big break in the band, but, um, genius guitar writing, and I did not know this, because I saw recent footage of them playing, just trying to check bands out live, as everyone does, and I I saw this dude, Kelly, doing his vocal thing, but he actually, on this album, he plays guitar and does the vocals, and would do that live. Extremely talented guy. Yeah. Um...
0: And, uh, you know, you're talking about the instrumentation, actually. The bass on here is uh, Tony Choi.
2: Tony Choi, I was going to get to that. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. sorry. No, no, it's okay. Because, no, no, the bass is really important in atheist. Not to question your presence, go on. Uh, So, uh, throughout, the writing is very consciously written with the bass in mind. The bass is never... The bass is never on the back burner. There's something about it that's always been up front, and there's a little bit of a, a tragic story behind this because the original yeah. bass player, Roger Patterson, who you can hear on Piece of Time, fantastic work. He died in a car accident right a few months before they were going to go into studio for this album. It's tragic. Yeah, and he, his work is fantastic. You listen to Piece of Time, and he is he's just a really solid musician, an awful situation, but they did recruit, as Will just said uh, Tony Troy who you might know him from Cynic or Pestilence, he also plays in those bands, great, great player and he shines through on this album, everyone really does it's a really solid band that almost the the instrumental will make you think.
0: Yeah, it's one of the most uh, original death metal bands from that early Florida scene, for sure Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these guys in Cynic uh, always stand out Uh, because, uh, I guess, the kind of jazz influence or the the instrumentation and how everything is so different. They weren't afraid to kind of go for more, like, lighter moments for the atmosphere, man. I actually, uh, I heard this album late in life. Um, This and Testimonies, uh, uh, this and Pestilence's uh, Testimonies of the Ancients, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I I had both on cassette. Uh, I found them at a thrift store in Northport um, a month or two before I joined Artificial Brain. I think I told the story on the podcast once already. Um, that's but a great find for a thrift store. Absolutely, it was a little church thrift store in Northport, and um, Tony Choi plays bass on both albums. And I actually, and had some some guy must just got rid of his metal collection, man. I think that's where I found the Inner Strength demo too, the Long Island Prague. But I found this atheist, unquestionable presence on cassette, man, and this just blew my mind. Um, I had always been meaning to check out the band and just never got the chance for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the combination of jazz and death metal just blew my mind. Uh, this this shit is incredible, man, and it's really uh, interesting that that you bring it up right after we got done talking about Between the Buried and Me. Yes, um, because another band that really took metal and death metal elements, but just pushed it so far beyond the boundary, any boundaries that anyone had set on it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Like the, one of the more creative kind of mm-hmm. uh, approaches to it, and I've, I've. You know, guilty of not like diving deep into Atheist either, but like, but doing so with Cynic and, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, the similarities are, are crazy. But, um, maybe Atheist with a more consistent, like, metal vibe to it, you know? Yeah, there's yeah.
2: a big. I, I'm glad you brought in The Silent Circus for mm-hmm. this episode, because, like, comparing these two, like, these are two death metal bands. Well, you know, Between the Barry Me has death metal elements, yeah. But they're constructing songs like jazz songs. And Atheist is. Using jazz chops to write death metal songs. Yeah, you know it's it's like this different approach, and uh, both are both are really cool. At the end of the day,
0: uh, well, I think that's that's the key right there too. Is that it's not what I refer to sometimes, uh, jokingly as music school metal it's it flow it flows like a jazz album the 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 songs aren't just kind of to show off technique and riffs they're written and inspired in a certain way and they have a flow to them and they go somewhere and they come back and you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's there's direct there's uh intense direction and depth to these songs they're not just routines you know and or, or exercises you know i i couldn't recommend this album uh heavily enough even to people a lot of people I think nowadays, especially in, in our in today's uh, like pop culture climate, a lot of people are exploring death metal who didn't who haven't explored death metal before, and maybe a lot of people who are looking for something interesting and looking for what death metal has contributed outside of just, you know, Slayer or Death or bands like that. So, you know, Atheist Unquestionable Presence is definitely the album you give to your friend who Normally only listens to electronica and jazz, but now they want to hear death metal or something, right? You know, it's it, yeah. this, is, this is one of those albums.
2: It also helps that uh, Kelly Schaefer's vocals are more thrashy and not so guttural. So, yes, like you're saying, if you're showing it to someone who is not as familiar, mm-hmm. you have the vocals you can compare more to, like, Megadeth or... Yeah, totally. Uh, over, you know, Cannibal Corpse or something, you know, like early, early Testament lo- and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which is, to be honest, part of the reason I wasn't into it the first time I heard it. Well, thank you for joining us for the Heavy Hole. Uh, It has been a pleasure. Thank you to Hassan.
0: Yeah, Hassan from Ripping Headache Promotions out of the Baltimore, D.C. area.
1: Peeling back the curtain.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, It was very interesting to talk to him about booking shows and his experience doing that, man. Big shout out to him. And, of course, he knows I appreciate all the uh, help he's uh, given my bands over the years. Man, he's always given us a square deal. Uh, and um, we, you know, we talked a little bit about albums. You know, Victory Records. Learned a little bit about what's going on in, in, uh, in uh, England nowadays. That's yeah, some weird dance.
2: shit in England. Yeah. Grateful. Uh, get your presence up a bit, man. You're you're a great band. And when <laughs> I say man, I mean four men.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, man, I mean some bands like to keep it low key nowadays. You know, it's like the the way to stand out is to not stand out. You know, I
1: guess. It's playing I hard know. to get.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. Hiding in plain sight. I don't know, man. But uh, until the next episode, we're gonna be hiding in plain sight. Whoa! I did it. uh, I see it. All right, guys. (laughs) So uh, until until uh, next time, don't question our presence. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) bing bong. We're gonna ride out. Atheist, unquestionable presence. You got to get into it. Thank you. Good night. Bing bong.